All right, let's go ahead and get started tonight if we can, please. Everybody seems to be in a good mood tonight, so why don't we all join in in saying the books of the Bible. We'll get some bass and alto in there, sounds on the books of the Bible. Let's do it, all right? One, two, three. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Isaiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Yes, I believe. 
Now, what's true failure in life? I didn't come out of my mouth. So if you're here tonight and you need to partake of the Lord's Supper, it's not too late. You go ahead and make your way to the little chapel. Hopefully you'll have time to do that and then uh, make it to one of the classes. So I apologize for that. No matter how many notes I write or how much I remind myself, sometimes it just doesn't come out like it should. All right, just a, a couple of updates tonight before we begin. Uh, do keep in mind uh, the senior honors. If you did not have a chance to go down to the uh, annex uh, this morning after our services, you would do well to go down there and, and uh, see some of the, I guess they're still down there, aren't they? Uh, the boards for our seniors, they're beautiful, and we're proud of our seniors and for their accomplishments. And so if you did not get to view those today, I would encourage you to do so. Also, I want to remind all 7th through 12th grade youth and parents as well as others that uh, are wanting to support our youth group activities, please remember our fellowship tonight, the planning session following our services. I do want to remind the Golden Circle that we'll be going to the pit stop for breakfast in the morning. The bus will leave the annex at 8.30. I believe that's all the announcements that I have. Of course, Super Saturday. We want to remember that coming up on June the 10th and be ready to help in any way that we can. I'm going to have a prayer and then Hayes is going to come tonight and he's going to lead us in our song as the teachers go to class. Will you bow with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are indeed grateful to you for so many things you do for us. We are truly abundantly blessed materially and physically, but Father... We are so thankful for those spiritual blessings that are ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, there are many on our minds today that are facing illnesses of various kinds, sicknesses. We pray that you'll be with each one of those. We're also mindful, Father, of those here who have lost loved ones uh, just recently. We pray for them. We pray for their families as they grieve and as they deal with their particular losses. Father, we ask you continued blessings upon this church. In particular, Father, we ask your blessing upon our classes that meet tonight. May we open up our hearts and minds to your word and try to apply those things to our lives. Always, Father, help us to glorify you in all things. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.
I'll be leading Blue Skies and Rainbows, the first verse. Blue Skies and Rainbows, the first verse. Blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven are what I can see You know, it just seems like to me, uh, and I think the attendance board bears it out, our, our attendance is, seem, is seemingly up on uh, Sunday night and Wednesday night. I noticed last Wednesday, in spite of our college students being gone, we still had a fantastic number here. And that was true last Sunday night as well. It looks to me like we've got a good number here tonight. So we're grateful for that. I know tonight we're blessed with several who are visiting with us. And uh, I want to tell you, it's always an honor to welcome our guests. We're always thankful to have our visitors, and we want you to know that. And uh, I, I wish you would, you know, hang around a few minutes after we're dismissed following our class and, and give us a chance to tell you hello and let us express our gratitude to you for being here tonight. Of course, we are uh, in our marriage class. We talked about marriage in general now we're going to begin to kind of hone in on some specific things. We're going to talk about husbands starting tonight. Then we'll move on to wives, and then we'll just make our way forward as we go. Uh, someone has said that marriage is when a man and, man and a woman become one. The trouble starts when they start trying to decide which one. That's true, right? All right. You know, you, you become one, but when you start trying to decide which one, you got problems. That's the root of a lot of marriages. Uh, I don't know if you heard about a wife that gave her husband a silent treatment for the entire week. 
And uh, at the end of the week, her husband was sitting in the recliner and he hollered at his wife. He said, honey, haven't you noticed how good we've been getting along so good lately? You know, isn't it amazing? Well, he didn't even know he was getting silent treatment, I don't guess, or he was thankful for it. He was thankful that they'd gotten along so good. I think about one wife who said, our new neighbor, you know, he always kisses his wife when he goes to work. Why don't you do that? Her husband said, well, how can I? I don't know her all that well. So anyhow, it's not easy sometimes to get along as husbands and wives, is it? It's difficult from time to time. We all have to deal with our own personalities. And as I said last week, in preparing this and studying this, I fall well short of what I know I need to be and ought to be with all my OCD and my tendencies that I have. You know, it makes you wonder sometimes, would your wife have ever married you if she knew what she knew now, maybe? Uh, I don't know. You know, all the little quirks and things that you don't, don't know about till you get together in the same household. But anyhow, our objective in this lesson is to try to encourage husbands to fulfill uh, their role as leaders in the home. And I think that's very, very important. I think about a young man that went to his preacher one time to meet with him, and he had a confession to make. He said, Preacher, I think I'm loving my wife way too much. In fact, I fear that I may have put her on such a high plane that it may become sinful. Well, what would you say? Well, the preacher replied to him, Well, do you think you love your wife more than Christ loved the church? Of course, that young husband wouldn't dare say that he did. And the preacher said, well, that's the limit to which you can go, you know, so keep it up. <laughs> There's no limit, right? Christ, uh, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. There's no limit uh, to the love that we need to manifest toward our wives. Now, husbands are divinely ordained to be the head of the wife. Now, if you look over to Ephesians chapter 5, we looked at some verses here <clears throat> last week. And uh, I'm not going to just read all these verses again, but in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, the Bible says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of it. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. But I think we need to understand tonight that involved in the husband's leadership is the responsibility to love, and not only to love, but to sacrifice for what and the people that they lead. A husband has to be willing to sacrifice for those that he leads. Truly, the husband is the band which provides strength and stability and cohesion to the marriage. Now, I want to talk about, first of all, tonight, and again, I hope you all will interject some of your ideas. you got some points on this. I hope you'll feel free to make, you know. 
Uh, y'all been, a lot of you have been married a lot longer than I have. And there's a lot of things that you may be able to point out with your years of wisdom that could add input to this. And I want to encourage you to, to speak up and make those comments. I want to talk about the importance, first of all, of being a good husband. The importance of being a godly husband. Why is that important? Uh, William Phelps, uh, a past president of Yale University, once said, No man can ever be considered a success who is a failure at home. Is that true? Right? And no man can be considered a failure who's a success in his home. I've always said this. His, his pants may be baggy. His coat may be worn. He, man, the man may not drive a fancy car or bring home a big paycheck, but if his children watch and wait for him to come home from work, with their noses pressed against the window pane, you can trust that man with absolutely anything in this world. And so success in our family is vitally important. It's very important. And we need to realize the importance of being a godly husband. Why is it important to be a godly husband? Well, first of all, a man's happiness depends greatly upon what kind of husband he chooses to be. Now notice that word I said, chooses to be. You know, Jesus' desire for everyone is for us to be happy and to enjoy life, isn't it? In John 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, I come that they might have life and have it how? More abundantly. Jesus wants us to be happy. He wants us to enjoy life. That's why Solomon penned in Proverbs 5 and verse 18, Rejoice with the wife of your youth. Also Solomon encouraged in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 9, Live joyfully with the wife of your youth. However, a man's personal and marital happiness greatly is dependent upon the kind of husband that he chooses to be. There's a choice that he's going to make there. And uh, if he makes the right choice, then that's going to lead to his happiness and the family's happiness. If he chooses to lead his wife while loving her and sacrificing for her and nurturing her and cherishing her, the husband greatly enhances the possibilities that his marriage and his family is going to be a little taste of heaven here on earth. And also when a husband chooses to lead his wife as God has instructed, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, they will be heirs together of the grace of God. They'll be heirs together. It's teamwork there, right? Uh, we're together. We're one in this for the grace of God. And so it's important to be a good husband because we want to be happy. Also, a man's prayer life is greatly dependent upon what kind of husband he chooses to be. Sometimes we may not think about this. 
Now, we know that the Bible, by precept and example, encourages us to pray. We know how important prayer is, don't we? The Bible says in Luke 18, verse 1, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. We're to pray. We're to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. We know the power of prayer. We know that Jesus, our Savior, spent much time in prayer. He prayed uh, before many important events in his life. He prayed before the apostles were selected. And if Jesus Christ, our Savior, the very Son of God, if he realized the importance of prayer, what does that say about our need for prayer? Is it important for us? If Jesus needed to pray, how much more then do we need to pray? However, the way that a husband lives with and treats his wife can actually influence the effectiveness of our prayer life. Now we know the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? Avails much or does much good. And I'll say it again as I've said before, prayer, I believe with all my heart, is a way to get God to do things that he normally would not do if we didn't pray. I think prayer changes things. I think prayer can change lives. There's power in our prayers. Peter says those prayers do much good. And the Bible reveals to us that God expects husbands to love and to honor and to nurture and to cherish and to be understanding toward our wives. And according to 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, to do otherwise is to hinder one's ability to pray. And so it's important to be a good husband because we don't want to shut up the avenue of prayer to God. Remember what the Bible said about forgiveness? If you forgive men their trespasses, what? God in heaven will forgive you your trespasses. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, what? All right. In other words, if you don't forgive, you burn the bridge over which you yourself must be forgiven by God, right? Same thing with our communication with God. You know, the way a husband interacts and treats his wife is very important because it can hinder the effectiveness of our prayers. And then I want you to notice as well that it's uh, the importance of being a godly and good husband is important because a man's eternal destiny is greatly dependent upon the kind of husband that he chooses to be. Now, the Bible's very explicit re regarding the husband's responsibilities to his wife. We talked about that last week. He's to love his wife. He's to cherish his wife. He's to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He's to love his wife as he loves his own body. He's to nurture her. He's to cherish her. <clears throat> also, Jesus affirmed that our eternal destiny depends upon our response, our response to God's revealed will. Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone, <coughs> excuse me, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but he that does the will of my Father which in, is in heaven. So it's important that I do the will of God. A part of God's will as husbands is that I fulfill my responsibilities, right? And so I must do that. Furthermore, the marriage relationship is such a close and intimate one, and the husband can actually jeopardize his wife's eternal salvation through his neglect, through his ungodliness. A husband can actually lead his family to eternal destruction. I'm afraid that a lot of husbands uh, have abdicated their responsibilities in the home. They're not fulfilling those responsibilities. And uh, if that should ever occur, how can a husband ever expect to save himself? Now, the Bible says in Romans 14, verse 7, <coughs> that no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. Yeah, that's one thing about having grandchildren, right? We share everything, including the coals when they come. And that's what I'm dealing with from last week. <coughs> I got there, the grandkids cold. But uh, anyhow, uh, we need to understand that eternal destinies are impacted uh, by being the kind of husband that we ought to be. And one thing that's wrong with our nation today, one reason why the family's in trouble today, and I think you can see that it's true and secular studies bear this out, it's the absence of a father figure. The father is absent from the home. And whenever that leadership is absent from the home, Satan is very good at focusing his attention in on that, isn't he? And Satan wants to destroy our homes. That's his target. He wants to harm our homes. And you might say he's doing a pretty good job right now, isn't he, in this country? It's up to fathers to step up. Now, because of certain situations over the course of time and through history, because of people's social, economic status, racial status, uh, some particular groups of people were without a father for a long time, right? And now what's happened to other groups, races, social, economic groups, is now happening to middle-class families as well, right? Uh, the same problems are going to happen when the father is absent from the home. There's going to be a lack of respect. Uh, there's going to be a lack of teaching. And uh, we'll see a generation that, that comes up and they don't respect authority. They don't respect uh, the authority of their teachers. And it's sad when a teacher has to go to school and live in fear of the, of the students, isn't it? And that's true in some places. Uh, they're scared to death. And so uh, this is what we see in our culture today. The father figure is very, very important. You cannot stress the importance enough of being a good, godly father. Now, secondly, though, the husband has a divine charge to lead. It's not an optional matter. We can't just decide to leave it up to the wife. I'm afraid some homes are like, you know, you know, the husband, he makes all the important decisions, right? He decides who America's going to declare war on, right? You know, he watches the news. He makes the decision about what we're going to do about our economy, you know, he makes that decision, you know, from his chair and other things. Now, the wife, she has to decide, well, where are the kids going to go to school? 
You know, the, the wife has to decide where the kids, where we're going to go to church and all that kind of thing. You see, I'm afraid we've not, we've, we've gotten away from the leadership of the father figure in the home. The father has to be involved in the physical and spiritual training of his family. You just can't turn that responsibility over to the wife. You have to be a leader in that. You know, we talked about leadership for, I guess, six months here, right? And uh, if we want to develop leadership in the church, we need to start from the time that our kids are small. And in the home, we need to teach and train our children what's right and what's wrong and how we need to act and how we need to behave and how we need to conduct ourselves in various situations. You know, the father is to take the lead when it comes to the spiritual training of those children. It shouldn't be, you know, church and Bible stories is not some sissy thing that's left up to moms, right? Uh, the father has to be involved in that. He needs to be involved in the training spiritually of his own family, and that's vitally important that that be done. So a, per, a, a husband's divine charge is to lead. Now, what does the word lead mean? Think about that for just a minute. Webster says the word lead means to show the way, to go first. It means to act as a guide or to be at the head. What does a guide do? Somebody's guiding you like on a hunting trip or a fishing trip. What? Huh? He leads you. He makes sure everything is clear, right? And uh, the direction that we're going is going to be safe. Uh, you know, he's the guide. He makes sure everything is the way that it ought to be and that this road that we're traveling down is going to lead to safety. Now, we could go back and talk about Abraham and Lot for a minute. Remember how that uh, their flocks and herds became so great and there was strife between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham? And uh, Abraham said, Lot, let there be no strife. I pray you between me and you, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we be brethren. We know the story about how Abraham told Lot, you choose first. You make the choice what land you want, what direction you want to go. And of course, Lot was immediately captivated by the green and the well-watered plains, right, going down towards Sodom. And uh, he immediately jumped on that. He made a choice not thinking about where that choice <clears throat> was ultimately going to lead, didn't he? And ultimately, he had his family in Sodom, and we know the story about how he lost, we know, two daughters, right? And his sons-in-law, his wife turned to a pillar of salt, and so forth. And so, you know, the choices that we make in life are very, very important, and husbands need to lead in those choices. Now, a leader is one who willingly shows the way. He serves as a guide for others. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, the divine model for leadership in the marriage relationship is something that I think we need to clearly understand. There's a model we need to follow. Leadership in the marriage relationship is a matter of stewardship. What do we mean when we say stewardship? If I say you're a steward, what does that mean? 
What is a steward? Huh? A worker? Well, all right, you're a caretaker. You take care of something that belongs to somebody else. We always talk about stewardship, maybe in regard to our giving, right? When we say we give our money to the Lord, we always make the statement, we're giving to the Lord that which he already owns, right? A portion that he already owns. God owns everything, right? We don't need, God doesn't need anything that we have. He owns everything. We're just... <laughs> that's right. We're stewards of the things that we possess. <clears throat> you know, if uh, somebody, let's say they're going to leave their house for a month and go on a trip and they get somebody to stay in their house, house it for them, those people are responsible for the well-being of that house, aren't they? Right? I I'm a steward of my grandchildren. We've got our grandchildren for the rest of this week. Technically, we are stewards of our grandchildren, aren't we? I've got to make sure that those children arrive alive and well and breathing, you know, when we take them back to their mom and dad here, you know, at the end of the week. We're all stewards. And when it comes to this life, everything we have <clears throat> is a stewardship. We don't own our houses. We don't own our cars. <clears throat> the beautiful home that you live in right now, the property that you have, Whose name is going to be on that piece of property as the owner in 100 years? Will it be you? No. It will not. 100 years from right now, it's going to not matter what kind of car you drove or what kind of property you owned, how many, what kind of clothes you wore. The only thing that will matter is where you're spending your eternity. And so right now in this life, we're stewards. And... In the marriage relationship and in regard to our family, it's simply a matter of stewardship. And it's expected by God that a steward be faithful or trustworthy. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. And so God reminds us that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And yet Jesus, as a leader, was he ever a dictator? Is Jesus ever a tyrant as he leads the church? No. He's not going to force us to do something that we don't want to do. It's a matter of choice. In the same way, you know, Jesus is opposite of that. He's a sacrificial servant who lovingly gave himself. And consequently, husbands like Jesus, they need to lead from the foot of the table and not with a whip in their hands. We are to show our family the way to go because we're willing to go that way ourselves. In other words, we need to practice what we preach. Remember what Theophilus was writ written to by Luke, the former treatise, have I made to you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both what? Do and teach. Jesus did before he taught. He practiced before he preached. You know, Jesus taught us to forgive, didn't he? But did he forgive? Oh, man, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus taught people to be humble, but was our Lord humble? Yeah, he took that basin of water and that towel and washed the dirty feet of those disciples. Shocked them to death by doing that. And so... We are to lead by serving. And we need to understand as fathers and husbands that we have that responsibility. 
Now consider the challenge of leadership in the marriage relationship. It's not always easy. Tragically, there are marriages today, even in Christian marriages, where the wife dominates the marriage simply as a result of the wife's refusal to accept and embrace his leadership roles. It's sad that a wife has to step in, right, and do what a husband ought to do. You know, as a husband, I ought to realize I'm in charge of not only the physical welfare of my children, but I'm in charge of their spiritual welfare. I'm in charge of where they're going to spend their eternity. I need to lead them in the way they should go. You know, honey, you know, you and the kids, y'all go ahead and go to church, you know. I want to encourage you to do so. I don't want to keep you from it. I got some other things I got to do. Well, that's kind of nice of him to let the wife and kids go to church, right? But is he really leading those his wife and kids in the way they should go? You know, it's going to make a big difference in those children's lives as they grow up and mature. Uh, it's going to impact the choices that they make. They need to see a father just like Joshua of old who said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what anybody else does, Joshua said. If it's up to me, me and my house, we're going to serve God. He took the reins there. I love what the Bible says, God speaking about Abraham. I know Abraham, that he will lead his children after him. He had confidence that, that Abraham would lead and direct his family in the way that they ought to go. And so we need to understand today that uh, it's important for a husband to be the leader of his family. And of course, that kind of carries over to what we were talking about in regard to leadership in the church, right? That's why that qualification is there. A person ought to, if he's going to be a leader of the flock of God, he needs to be, first of all, one that leads his family in the way that they should go. And that kind of goes hand in hand. Now, let's talk about the husband's responsibilities to his wife. What are the husband's responsibilities to the wife? Of course, it's not just take out the garbage and, you know, mop or clean every now and then or so forth, but what are the real responsibilities? Several years ago, the space shuttle Discovery was grounded, not by technical difficulties. It wasn't grounded due to a lack of government funding but it was grounded because of woodpeckers. Yellow shafted flicker woodpeckers found the insulating foam on the shuttle's external fuel tank irresistible material for pecking. And that foam is critical to the shuttle's performance. <coughs> Without that foam, ice is going to form uh, when the super cold fuel is put into that tank, ice that can break free during liftoff and damage the giant spacecraft. And so the shuttle had to be grounded until all these repairs were, were fixed by those woodpeckers. Now, I think a lot of marriages today are frequently damaged, not just by big things like infidelity or abuse, or abandonment. Those are terrible things, right? But I think it can also be damaged by, by little things. Maybe it's criticism. 
Maybe it's a lack of leadership. It could be a breakdown in communication. Little things like that can peck away at the relationship and, and keep it from becoming what God intended it to be. So, what is a husband's responsibility to his wife? Uh, this is really the beginning part of where I, I, I began to limp as I studied and prepared this right real bad. My toes got blue and brown, you know, from all the hammering that was done here. So, first of all, the husband is to honor and to value his wife. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. It's a very important verse. Okay? It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers <clears throat> be not hindered. I think about Will Rogers one time. Will Rogers, you know, those of you that are older know who I'm talking about. Will Rogers accepted an invitation to a Hollywood party. And the invitation was addressed to Mr. Will Rogers. And upon entertaining in his own unique way, he returned home and he promptly sent the hostess an invoice for $1,000 for services rendered. Well, the hostess phoned him and stated that, you know, he had been invited as a guest. Well, Will Rogers replied, when Mrs. Rogers is not invited, I go to work. And I expect $1,000. And he got the check. And upon receiving the check for $1,000, he donated that to charity. But his point was made, wasn't it? Uh, Mr. Rogers honored and appreciated his wife and expressed it in a very open way. Now, think about that word honor. Honor your wives. The word translated honor means to esteem. It means to esteem another highly or <coughs> to show esteem to another. Hence, when husbands honor and value their wives, they will esteem them highly through their actions as well as through their words. Now, the Bible tells husbands to honor and to value their wives for several reasons. Now, that's what I'm going to talk about. And it looks like we're going to have time maybe to finish this up and only this, but we'll try to get through it as we can. In what way, what does it mean that husbands are to honor and to value their wives? Well, first of all, they are to honor and value their wives because 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 says they are the weaker vessel. The expression weaker vessel is understood as a reference to physical features, you know, her finer sensibilities, the more delicate aspects of a woman as opposed to her spiritual makeup. Now, when the Bible says to honor your wife as the weaker vessel, the heart of this verse here simply means that men should honor and respect their wives. Now, I want you to think about when this was written back in Peter's time, when Peter wrote this and how radical it was to the people 
of his day. These people were shocked to read this. Give honor unto your wife as in the weaker vessel. You know, particularly in comparison to modern society, you know, women of this particular time were oppressed. Women of this particular time were discounted. They were often treated badly. Oftentimes they were viewed as second-class citizens. Uh, sometimes a Jewish man would pray, God, I thank you that I'm not a slave or a Gentile or a woman. That's pretty degrading, isn't it, women, right? So women were not highly well thought of at that particular time. And so for Peter to say this and make this remark, it was a radical, radical statement. And various versions of women submitting to their husbands would have been commonplace back in this culture. Now, Christianity's emphasis on submission to God ahead of the husband would have been unique by itself. You know, uh, most husbands probably would, would have thought that they ought to be more submissive to me than even to God. But here, God says, you know, you be submissive to God even above anybody else. But the teaching that women should honor their wives as equal co-heirs of the grace of God through faith in Christ, folks, that was revolutionary teaching. I mean, you talk about the Bible changing the status of women. I hear all this malarkey sometime about how the Bible degrades women. The Bible elevates women. The Bible elevates the status of women. It always has. It, it, we're all one in Christ Jesus, right? And so the Bible raises the status of women, uh, particularly in a teaching like this where women were simply viewed as property. Now, driving the seriousness of this point home, Peter points to a consequence here. He said, Christian husbands who refuse to honor their wives are going to see their prayers hindered. Either God will not receive those prayers in full or the husband's going to find it difficult to pray. Any husband that is abusive and disrespectful and otherwise belittling to his wife is defiling the will of God, period. And he needs to repent. He needs to change his behavior before that line of communication with God can be reopened. Specifically, men are instructed to give honor unto their wives as the weaker vessel. Now think about that for just a moment. That's not in any way putting a woman down at all. And I want you to notice carefully that this does not say that wives are actually weaker in a specific way. Rather that husbands must honor their wives just like they would honor or care for something more fragile than themselves. That's all it's saying. A husband ought to honor and care for his wife as something perhaps more fragile than he is. And so the point is purely about how husbands are to treat their wives. They are to be protectors of their wives. And so that is a responsibility in regard to honoring our wives. Now, secondly... <clears throat> they are to honor and value their wives 
because their wives, just like them, were created in the image of God and are commissioned by God for a specific purpose. See, we need to understand that all human beings are valuable. You know, we look at somebody out here that's walking the streets as a homeless person. We may want to look down our noses at that person. We may think we're a lot better than they are, but every human being without exception was created by God and has a worth and a value more precious than all the world. Every person is a soul that's going to live somewhere in eternity. And that's true of women. That was true back in this day of Gentiles. It was true of slaves. It's true of all people. We are to honor our wives because they are created in the image of God. Thirdly, husbands are to honor their wives because they are the crown of their husbands, Proverbs 12 and verse 4. Now, I want you to think about that. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 4 says that a wife is a crown to her husband. What in the world does that mean? Well, Solomon, having written about a good man, Proverbs 12 and verse 2, he now writes about an excellent wife. And using regal terminology, he implies that such a woman possesses noble character and ability. And just as a crown identifies a man as royalty to others, a good woman does the same thing by bringing her husband honor and dignity. Just like the crown on a king's head, she signals to everyone that they ought to honor and respect this man. She makes her family rich, Proverbs 31. At the same time, she respects her husband and encourages her children and others to do the same. And over in Proverbs chapter 31, the Bible describes such a woman in further detail. Among the many things she does, the writer of Proverbs chapter 31 says that she does her husband good all the days of his life. She is far more valuable to her husband than even precious jewels and wisdom and kindness flow from her mouth. Proverbs 31 verse 6. I think about Ruth in the Old Testament. She was an excellent woman. And Boaz complimented Ruth, whom he eventually married, by saying in Ruth 3 verse 11, All my fellow townsmen... Know, Ruth, that you are a worthy woman. Now, folks, unfortunately and realistically, not all wives are a crown to their husbands. Not all wives are excellent. Solomon writes here that in Proverbs chapter 11 that a wife who lacks discretion by inviting a bad reputation or bringing ridicule upon herself also brings her husband pain. Just like she can be a crown to her husband, she might be a thorn in his side. Now, we know that marriage is for better or for worse. We know it's for richer or poorer. And if you're married for better, thank the Lord, right? Thank the Lord that you married for better. If you married for worse, though, you need to remember your wedding vows and make the best of it. 
Just as wise Abigail found herself married to that rich fool named Nabal, or just as David's soldier Uriah, that Hittite of unwavering character, found himself married to Bathsheba the adulteress, so God, for his own purposes, caused some to live with a shaming wife or a useless man. You know, God can take negative opportunities like that and somehow use them for his glory. But the Bible says an excellent wife is a crown to her husband. Happy is such a man. And just, decay, just as decaying bones would cause severe pain, so a wife of questionable character causes her husband a lot of anxiety. And so choosing a wife, choosing a spouse in general is a very important matter. And while Solomon speaks immediately to his sons in Proverbs 1 and verse 8, this concept is not limited to wives. Both spouses, husband and wife, can be honored or shamed by the conduct of their partner. And so a husband is to honor her, his wife by realizing that she is a crown. She's to value him. They are to honor and value their wives because of their crown. Fourthly, though, as time has gotten away from us, they are to honor and value their wives because they're a gift from God. In fact, one of the greatest gifts that you can have is that gift of a godly spouse, a godly man, or a godly woman in your life. It makes a big difference in your life, doesn't it? We're not all perfect. We all make mistakes. But we know the importance of of finding the right kind of person to marry in life. And we know the tragedy and the calamity that can come when we choose the wrong person to marry and the consequences that can come from that. All right, we're going to stop right there for right now. We're talking about the husband's responsibility to his wife. The first one on there, he is to honor and value his wife. Secondly, we're going to talk about this next week. He's to provide for his wife. He's to protect his wife. We're going to talk about these other things and try to finish this lesson up uh, next week, and then we'll begin talking about the wives a little bit, right? Don't worry, wives. I'm not going to come down hard on you or anything. Believe me. So I, I know better than that. But thank you all so much for your attention. I've got 6 o'clock on my... Phone, so I'm not going to start another point. Thank you very much.